0: Good afternoon, Cornerstone. How you doing? Good. Come on, Third Service, how you doing? All right, well, how many of you still doing well on your resolutions? Anybody? Very good. A hostess Twinkie about Blue mine day two, so how many are you, have, you've already lost it? You've already lost it? No? How many just refused to do resolutions? All right, very good. Well, we want to thank you for coming here. We want to thank um, those who are listening online. Um, What a pleasure it is to be here. Um, First Sunday of a new year, 2014. Holy cow, 2014. Today we're going to talk about um, something that should be near and dear to all our hearts, and that is Jesus and His church. We're going to talk about this whole idea of three to be, and what it means to be a church that, as we will discover, that is anonymously famous. So as we begin today, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. And as you're turning there, in order to know what a church is, we need to understand what a church is not. Church is not a day, it's not a day of the week. Church is not a place or a destination. Church is not a program or some clever marketing scheme. And the church is for sure not a dead body. Paul refers to the church as alive, a living body of believers. The word church in, in Greek is ecclesia. It means simply a gathering, an assembly. And the early church used this word to describe what happens as the church gathers, whether it's in a, a building, and the temple courts, whether it's in a home or on the streets or next to a river, wherever the believers gather, that's church. And so today, let's dig in. We're going to look at three New Testament churches and try to discover what it means to be a church that is explosive, to be a church that is anonymously famous. So turn to Revelation. It's the last book in the Bible. Revelation is one of those um, crazy books in the Bible. It's a prophetic book. a lot of symbolism, a lot of, a lot of crazy things. Those who are with us in the fall for the mind, we walk through each step of, of just some of the confusing. And, and we discovered as a group that Revelation, in the midst of all the symbolism, the key message of Revelation is the revealing of Jesus Christ. And that ultimately is what the church's key message is as well. So let's look at Revelation chapter 2. And this is a letter um, written to the church in Ephesus. Now, the church in Ephesus is probably the most popular and most referred to church in the entire Bible. Acts 19 refers to this church. Paul writes an entire letter to this church. And now, in 80-90, here Jesus is referring to this church again. So let's look at verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now Jesus is addressing this to the angel or the messenger. And he's addressing it to the seven stars or seven literal churches. And the stars are the pastors, the stars are the leaders of these churches, whether it's the leader of the entire congregation or the leaders of small groups or smaller ministries. He's addressing it to those who gather and assemble within the city of Ephesus. And the lampstands that are referred to are the churches themselves. And this is literally what Jesus thinks the church is. It is a candlestick or a lampstand, and its goal as a church is to do what? To hold up the light. Who's the light? A church that is effective and doing biblically what they're supposed to do is simply holding up the light for all to see. And so Jesus is writing this letter to the seven church leaders of these seven churches. And the first one is this church in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus is a crazy place. It's about 250,000. It's one of the biggest cities in antiquity. It's rich beyond measure. It's got one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the Temple of Diana, or for the Greeks in here, Artemis. And this temple was unreal. 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 This city was huge. Now, I know some of you are going, well, that doesn't say that's about the size of Chandler. But back in that day, they had superheroes. This was a, a big place. Port city, wealthy. And look what Jesus writes to those gathering as the church in the city. Verse two, I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. That you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered, have endured hardships for my name, and have not grown weary. Wow. Those are three verses that any church would love for Jesus to say about them. I know your deeds. Jesus is saying, I have a complete and utter knowledge of everything you do. I know everything about your church. I know your marketing plans before the creative team even meets. I know exactly what the DNA is. I know how deep you go. I know how wide you are. I know everything. And he commends them for their hard work and their perseverance. This is a church that served, that worked hard, that persevered, that went through struggles. This church was doing everything right. Exactly what Cornerstone would love Jesus to say about them and about us. Verse 3, they've endured hardships. Well, what kind of hardships? Well, this church was persecuted. We find that laid out in Acts 19. This church was hated in Ephesus. Why? Well, back to the whole Temple of Diana thing. The Temple of Diana, here's how they worshiped. They had temple prostitutes, and the men and probably some of the women would go to church and they would have sex with the prostitutes, and that was their act of worship. Now, I'm sure they had a great men's ministry there, but it was not a good thing to do. And here's this small church that's saying, no! That's not how you worship. They would sell idols to Diana. And all of a sudden the local silversmiths were going, no one's buying the idols anymore. Who's this Jesus? And so the church started becoming persecuted and Jesus is looking at them going, thank you. They stood up for what was right. We see in verse six, this whole idea of the Nicolaitans. They stood up against cults. They stood up against false doctrine this church was moving and grooving and doing things correct serving standing strong upholding to god's word being persecuted but then comes verse four and it's sort of one of those catching you off guard moments jesus says yet i hold this against you you have forsaken the love you had at first Consider how far you have fallen. Repent, which means to turn around. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Did you catch that? In the midst of all the great things this church was doing and any outside observer would look at the church of Ephesus and, and give them an A+++. Jesus was looking at their heart and saying, thank you, but you forgot me. You forgot me. The word forsaken, here's what it means. Some of the men in here will relate to, to me in this. and My wife will come home and she'll come in and say, hey, I've got groceries out in the van. I'll go, okay. And here my mission starts. I get out to the van and, and she buys in bulk, so there's there's groceries everywhere. My mission, no matter how long it takes, one trip. So I'll put the bags on every finger, every finger. I'm a bowler. I'm a pure athlete. So I can hold a lot on my ankles. I'm dragging eggs. I've got them around my neck. My kids are coming to help. I'm like, stand aside, young man. And, and I'm holding every, and it, it hurts. You let go of those, and your fingers are like, "Ah." it takes me so long. I'm going sideways. Things are dropping. Oranges are rolling under the car. Chili's going under the van. Eggs are no longer technically eggs. And I finally get in. I put them in the counter 30 minutes later. Sit on the couch. Job well done. But it's a description of what we do As a church, we pick up so much. Whether it's here at church, within our ministries, sports, music lessons, meetings, and we walk around slow, sideways, dragging important things, letting things drop, and unfortunately, The thing that typically drops in the church is Jesus. Jesus is that orange that won't be found till the next day. The church of Ephesus was so busy, they forgot the very reason why they existed. And here's what happens. If the church's goal is to hold up the light, the light of the world. When the church forsakes the light, whether they're decorating their camp, whatever it is, did you see what Jesus said? If you do not turn around and do the things you did at first, love me, what were they going to remove? Your church. Jesus' light never goes out. I've heard this said, well, the light's out in that church. No, the light moved. The light moved. Is it possible that we can become so busy as a church doing things for Jesus that we forget Jesus? Where's our focus? The first mark of an anonymously famous church is they worship. You can write that down, they worship. They put Jesus number one in their lives. Whatever has gotten between them and Jesus, they remove. And if they don't, Jesus will. Even if it's good things, would Jesus actually take my ministry away? Yeah. I've got an, had an opportunity to travel to many churches, speak at different places, and of course as the missions pastor, I get to travel um, to different areas. And, and I've seen a lot of dead churches. And here's an easy, easy way to remember what kills a church. And if you've played Clue, you'll get this. It was Jesus in the worship center with the candlestick. Every time. The church got too busy, too focused on the wrong things. Anonymously famous church worships. John three thirty. If you want a powerful verse on what it means to worship, here it is, should underline it, highlight it, write it in lipstick on your mirror, whatever it takes, John 3.30. He must become greater, I must become less. He must become greater, I must become less. Now, who's saying that? This is John the Baptist, John the Baptist. The first prophet in over 400 years. God has been silent for about 350 to 400 years. And here on the stage appears John the Baptist. And he has got a following. He is the mouthpiece of God. He is the forerunner to the Messiah. People are following him. People are listening to his messages. People are coming from miles. Fishermen, servants, politicians, kings, they're all listening to John the Baptist. People are flocking to get baptized by this guy. He is a rock star. And then walks Jesus. And John the Baptist has a moment. Do I continue to take fame? Or do I step aside now, because my job is done, and humble myself and acknowledge that he must become greater and I must become less? John the Baptist, there's a reason why Jesus said he is the greatest man ever to walk the earth. It's because John the Baptist was a true, authentic worshiper. Jesus was his number one, and he never forsaked him. Now, John the Baptist made mistakes. He doubted at times. In fact, right before Jesus said he was the greatest man ever to walk the earth, his disciples came to Jesus asking if he was even the Messiah. But John the Baptist knew what it means to put Jesus first. That's worship. Where is Jesus in our calendar? Where is Jesus in our life? Have we forsaken him? Even a little bit. Have we put things ahead of him? The authentic first mark of an anonymously famous church is they worship. They worship. The second thing, the second trait of an anonymously famous church is they grow. They grow. Let's look at the second church. We talked about um, the church in Ephesus. Let's go back to Acts chapter 2. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts is the history book in the New Testament. Acts chapter 2. And we're going to look at the first church. Not First Baptist, not First Presbyterian, but first church, numero uno, this is the first church. And watch what they did in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the first church. Did you catch that? Every day. They ate together. They lived together. They studied God's word together. They prayed together. They did life together. An anonymously famous church will grow. We will grow. Here at Cornerstone, we have a lot of opportunities for growth. We have small groups, small churches, men's, women's ministry, singles, Every Tuesday night, starting this Tuesday, we have the mind, and I'm excited about what's going to happen. We're going to be studying a topic called Journey 180, and we're going to walk through the Bible from beginning to end, and we're going to put the Bible in a historical context. We're going to try to connect the dots, place these figures in their proper order so the Bible's more understandable. And not only that, we're going to take the Bible and bring it out into, into other history. This was happening when Socrates was doing this. This was happening while the Great Wall of China was built, and so on and so on. And we're going to try to dig into the Word. But wherever you go, find a place where you can find a smaller area to grow together. And I know, I'll be transparent here. When When I first got into ministry about 20 years ago, someone invited me to a small group it was actually not a small group, it was a Bible study, and, and don't, don't let this scare you, this is totally different than our small groups. And I said, what's a Bible study? Oh, you'll love it. And I've already, and I was already misled by people, by the way, by Christians. They tried to get me to listen to Christian music. You'll love it, and they tossed Sandy Pandy, or Sandy Patty, let me say, <laughs> Pandy Patty, tomato, tomato. And I'm, I'm coming from a maiden background, and I'm like, what's this? And so now I'm going to a Bible study, I'm like, okay, I'll do it. And then at the end they're like, hey, l- let's, let's get in a circle. I'm like, why? <laughs> oh, it, It's cool, Like, circles are normally not cool. Um, <laughs> and so all the chairs and the couches are there. And I'm like, okay. And it was okay, it, w- it was fun. And then all of a sudden it happened the closing prayer. I'm like, oh, what's that? Oh, we're gonna pray to God, and, and, and I'm like, okay, cool. And, I, and So I, I closed my eyes, or one eye, and I started looking at this guy, and he started praying. I was like, okay, and almost done. And, and then the person on his right, she started praying. And I was like, oh, wow, those are big words. She doesn't use those ever. And then the next person to the right started praying, and then it hit me. Oh, no, they're going in a circle. And I'm number six. I was like, oh, I started sweating, clenching my fists. I'm like, oh, I don't know what to say. I don't even know where Ecclesiastes is. What is that? And and, and I'm I'm dying here. I'm I'm not even paying attention to the prayer. It could be on number four or five. I don't know, because I am scripting a perfect prayer. And then number five says about 80% of it. I'm like, ah! It was a nightmare. But can I tell you, that's not what it's about. That's not what, what small groups is. Small groups is doing life together. These are the people that when you're down, they will lift you up. These are the people that are going to your kids' soccer games. Small churches is an amazing place to learn God's word. The mine, great place to learn God's word. Women's, men's. We have a lot of amazing ministries to help you grow. And that's what an anonymously famous church does. They grow. They want to study. They want to find out about Jesus. When I was young, these pictures um, hung in my uh, grandma's house. And I'd walk by him, and I'd go, oh, cool, and this is my great uncle, Robert Walton, my grandma's brother, and he fought in World War II. And I would know him, and people said, you look like him. And so I I knew who he was, and I knew he was in World War II. And it wasn't until I got into college in Southern California, and and I I was a theology major, but every free elective I could take was an upper-division history class, because I love history, and I finally just said, forget it, I'm going to be a history and theology double major. And I just took history left and right. And this college was actually offering history classes specifically on World War II. I was like, oh, this is awesome. And so I started studying. And I remember going back to my grandparents' house and just standing in front of the wall, reading every last letter that he sent to the family. And as I started reading the letter, the war started becoming alive. There was a personality to it. I could see the fear, and he was scared to death. He got deployed in December of 44, right after the Battle of the Bulge or right during it. And I started looking at how he would, his rank would increase and how he would be moving from Company C to Company E and and to different regiments. And and so I started studying and looking at the military annals. and, And I would just follow every single day, here's where Robert was. And I had the joy of sitting next to my grandmother and saying, Grandma, here's where Robert was Christmas. And I keep going on this map. Here's where he was in January. And Grandma, that picture of him, that was taken during a week leave that he got into Belgium. And Grandma, here's where Robert was in February. And here's an actual picture of the city and, and a house and a military diagram. He was probably here, Grandma. I could see her tears. And Grandma, here's where he was in April as they were heading in to victory in Europe and they were closing in on Berlin, city, three cities each day. Grandma, he he was a hero. Grandma, here's where he was when he died. Here's what happened in that battle. Here's the situation around it. I read every letter over and over and over again. I knew him, I had memorized. This is God's letter to us. And for those of us who love Jesus with all our heart, with all our mind and with all our soul and all our strength, this is about Jesus. This is about our Lord and Savior. As Christians, we should be longing to dig into the word. And I'll be honest, there's many weeks as a pastor In my days that I went, man, the only time I opened the Bible was to prep for a message. But God wants us to to dig in. I never knew my dad. I grew up single mom. Kudos to single moms out there. But if he would have had letters, which he didn't, but if he would have had letters, you want to make a wager on whether I would have read them? Man, I would have known every word because I would want to discover what made him tick. His heart. What was he like? What did he do? Do we feel that way about Jesus? Or have we forsaken him? You see how worship and growth go together? An anonymously famous church worships together, but an anonymously famous church grows together. And this is what was happening in this first church. They started growing, and when you grow, your faith gets bolstered. Your faith is strengthened. And when faith and spirit meet together, whew, that's Mentos and Diet Coke. <laughs> Vinegar baking soda, peanut butter, and chocolate. It is heavenly when faith and spirit meet. And you need to understand for years in the Old Testament, They had faith, they knew who God was, but they longed for the day that the Spirit would be indwelt within them. And today, as believers, we have the promised Spirit in our hearts. The power that moved mountains, that raised people from the dead, that created the universe is within us as a deposit. And yet we lack faith. But in a moment in history, there was a church that had both faith and Spirit You don't have to read far in Acts to see what happened to that first church. Thousands of people were coming to Jesus. People were being healed. People were being resurrected. It was incredible. What a church. The third mark of an anonymously famous church. And if you've been here long, you could probably guess it. They serve. They serve. They serve together. Let's look at the third church here. The church of Antioch. Turn to Acts chapter 13. Now the church of Antioch is actually referred to in Acts 11 as well. And we find out that this church took up where the first church left off and just continued. And now they're spreading out, the church is starting to spread out, they're fulfilling the whole Acts 1-8. And now they're in Antioch and this church was bumping. They were happening. And they were were meeting together. They were worshiping together. They were growing. They were impacting the city. Thousands of people were coming to Jesus every single day. It was incredible. Incredible. This church in Antioch, they had people serving in their church that were doing things that we could only dream of. The Bible lists a couple of them here. Verse 1, chapter 13. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, who we would know as Paul. While they were worshiping, now the word worshiping here, some of your translations would say ministering, and that's, it it means they were ministering. These people were, were, were serving, The Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. This church was a servant church. They were serving. Yes, they were worshiping and growing because you you can't do one. It's not one to be. You can't do one to be or two to be. You got to do all three. You miss one, the other two sort of drop off. You got to worship. You got to grow, but you got to serve. Here at Cornerstone, we have opportunities to serve. There's opportunities within the church. We have a children's ministry that's phenomenal, but they need help. They need teachers. Our student ministry not only has incredible, dynamic leadership, but our student ministry is doing things that are amazing, but they need mentors to come alongside these teenagers. We have teams in the cafe, logistics. There are multitudes of places to serve here. And the Church of Antioch jumped at those opportunities to serve. In 2014, we've got to take that opportunity to step out, get out of the Purple chair, and serve. But not only serve the church here or in Santan. By the way, our Santan church is amazing. This is a church plant that we planted, our first church plant that we planted seven years ago, and now they are our first multi-site. And if you are in here and you live on East Side of Power, I would challenge you, go to Santan. Go to Santan. What an incredible ministry that's happening there. But we have an opportunity not only to serve our own church body, but to step out into the community. This Saturday, and by the way, every second Saturday, we meet in the student ministry at 8 a.m., And what do we do? We worship, and then we go out and serve the community for about three hours. I want to challenge this church of 6,000 to maybe take a moment once a month to join us in the community serving. And it doesn't matter how old you are. They are family-appropriate servant opportunities. We have yard work. We have moving. There's opportunities to do crafts for India and Haruma. Um, There's opportunities to spend time with the elderly to honor The veterans, by the way, I know it's not Labor Day or Memorial Day, but it really doesn't need to be. If you served or you are currently serving, thank you. Thank you for what you do for our country and giving us the opportunity to do what we do. Okay? Yeah. (laughs) We have opportunities to go to downtown Phoenix and help with the homeless every second Saturday But not only do we have things within the church and within our community, but we have an opportunity to serve worldwide. Our pastor right now is preparing to head to India to be a servant and to stand right beside one of our missionaries, Suresh Kumar, and help him out and bring relief to his ministry. We have a team, another team going on the 19th, pray for us as we go to India and serve at Harvest India. We've got four teams this summer um, going to Kenya to work with Mama Sephora. We have three teams heading out during fall break, going to Jamaica to spread the gospel in the streets of Kingston. There are so many opportunities to serve here, to serve locally, to serve globally. And as a church who is anonymously famous, we take those opportunities. And when a church starts worshiping, growing, and serving, something strange starts happening. The church actually starts to become more anonymous. And Jesus becomes more famous. Watch what happened with Antioch. Verse 3. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them Paul and Barnabas, and sent them off. Grab your Bible like this and hold it like this. Because the church of Antioch was an anonymously famous church, now they could have kept Paul and Barnabas all to themselves. How cool would that be to have Paul speaking on Sunday mornings? Lynn's amazing, but Paul! And when Paul was gone, well, our guest speaker is James! James! John, I mean, can you imagine that? Antioch could have been boom But in a moment in time, they said, you know what? It's about Jesus, not about us. And from verse three, you see the impact of that decision. They sent Paul out. They sent Barnabas out because they cared more about God's plan than their plan. Church of Ephesus thanks the church of Antioch. Church of Philippi thanks the church of Antioch. The Church of um, Berea, Laodicea. It doesn't matter. There are churches that thank Antioch for their decision to become anonymous, and you'll see Antioch disappears off the pages of the Bible, but their impact is eternal. You say, "Oh, that's great. That's a biblical church." What about today? How many ever heard of the Latrobe Presbyterian Church? Latrobe Presbyterian Church. Anybody out there? Yeah, they're anonymous. 1961. They had one of their uh, ministers who worked in the children's ministry. This man was a creative genius. Not only in song, but in voice, in puppetry, back when puppets were cool. And they finally had to look at him. Now, they could have kept him, and their children's ministry could have exploded. Latrobe could have been famous. They could have had books all out. Latrobe, here's their VBS, and all... They said Fred you need to go. Your genius is too much. Your service is too much for this church. Take it to the world. Here's what happened to Fred. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood. The Feel free to sing day for a neighborhood. <laughs> Would you be mine? Could you be mine? it's a neighborly day in this beauty wood a neighborly day for a beauty would you be mine could you be mine i have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you i've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you so let's make the most of this beautiful day since we're together we might as well say would you be mine my, won't you be my neighbor? Won't you please, won't you please, please won't you be my neighbor? Mm -hmm. Wow. Now some of you are going, what does that have to do about Jesus? Can I tell you as a young boy without a father, he was it. That was my father. I learned so much from him because He walked and he didn't just talk, he lived out his faith. He was an example to the world of what it means to be a Christian, of what it means to hold Jesus' light up. What it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. How many have ever heard of Ebenezer Baptist Church? Okay, A little more popular, but still fairly anonymous. They had a pastor in 1962, dynamic speaker, another genius, had a message about injustice that needed to be heard. This church also had a decision, do we keep him for ourselves or do we unleash him on the world? Look what happened when Ebenezer Baptist became anonymously famous. When we allow freedom to ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the only Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty we are free at last. Anonymously famous churches who worship, who grow, and who serve will be sent. They will have end of it. There's someone in this purple chairs today that will change the world. We have youth. That will change the world. What are we going to do in 2014? Are we going to allow our faith in the Spirit to collide? Are we going to change Chandler and Santan Valley and Arizona for Jesus? We have many opportunities and there are many hinge points where we, where we can either be anonymously famous or we can be self-serving. I hope we choose to be anonymously famous. Because to be honest, I hope in a hundred years, no one even knows Cornerstone existed. But everybody knows because of the people at Cornerstone, Jesus was famous. I don't have time today to talk about the churches that sent people like Henrietta Mears. Look her up. Churches that sent the Billy Grahams of the world. Churches that started the Salvation Army or YMCA's or... Churches around the world that worshiped, that grew and did life together, and that served, became disciples so they could go and make disciples. Some of you in here need to take that step. Some of us in here maybe have forsaken Jesus, we need to pull him back, we need to turn around to him. Some of us need to hop in a growth situation to start studying God's word doing life together. Some of us need to take opportunities to serve. And I promise you, Jesus will move. Jesus will move. Because when we strive to be anonymous and let Jesus be famous, we are completing the role and the purpose of a church. That's to hold the light of Jesus Christ high so that the world can see it that is our goal. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this church. We thank you for Pastor Lynn. We thank you for his vision. And Heavenly Father, I pray that we continually strive towards being anonymous, that we worship you, that we put you number one in our lives, on our calendars, that we give you everything, our time, talents, and treasures. Heavenly Father, give us the wisdom to grow to long for your word, to long to be with people who share the same love. Give us the, the wisdom to grow together. Heavenly Father, let 2014 be about you and not us. Heavenly Father, give us the wisdom to serve, to pick up the needs here at church, to pick up the needs that are out in our community not because we're great, but because we're making you famous. To reach out to those around the world that need the gospel of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, thank you for men and women that have gone before us. Thank you for the Fred Rogers, the Martin Luther Kings, the Henrietta Mears, and so many that have lived their faith out for the world to see. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that we have an opportunity to have a relationship with the creator of the universe, that you loved us so much that you sent your son. Heavenly Father, if there's someone in here that does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, who has not asked Jesus to be their God, give them the wisdom to not take another step apart from him. Heavenly Father, give them the wisdom to come forward, to talk to the counselors. Heavenly Father, we pray for 2014. We thank you for the opportunity we have to be part of this church. Such a fun and an amazing church. Heavenly Father, I I pray that we do resemble the church of Ephesus, not only in the first three verses, but more importantly, that we don't forsake you. We love you and we praise you. In your precious name we pray, amen.